Thank you for coming. My name is Jennifer Adelman, and I'm on the AOC PMNR Student Council. I'm really looking forward to learning from Ms. Mia Burmaster about the essential role of speech language pathologists and how it relates to physical medicine and rehabilitation. This is being recorded. Please save your questions for the end or send them in the chat and then Mia will address them at the end. Mia is a clinical fellow speech language pathologist at the Advanced Institute for Development and Learning. She attended the University of South Florida where she earned her bachelor's degree in health sciences with a concentration in communication sciences and disorders. She graduated at the end of April with her master's in speech language pathology from Jacksonville University. Her heart for this field is large and has been growing ever since she was a speech kid in elementary school and decided she wanted to be an SLP when she grew up. Mia has always been passionate about developing intentional relationships with her patients and their families and caregivers to be able to provide the best possible care and have the best support team surrounding the patient. For kids of all ages, she believes communication is the key to human interaction and doing the hard things is possible when you learn to believe in yourself. She's gained experience within the pediatric population in diverse settings, such as outpatient rehab, private practice, and in school with a variety of diagnoses, including expressive receptive language, pragmatic language, autism spectrum disorder, childhood apraxia of speech, Down syndrome, phonological process disorders, articulation disorders, and literacy disorders. So please welcome Mia. I'll give, give the floor to you. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Jennifer. Um, thank you everybody for being here today. Uh, I really appreciate this opportunity to come here and speak to you y'all about this passionate field of mine and the other fields that I collaborate with. Um, so without further ado, I'm gonna go ahead and show my screen. Okay. All right, everyone. So I'm gonna be presenting on the Rehab Trio. This encompasses speech language pathology, occupational therapy, and physical therapy. This is an overview of what we will be covering today. It is a long list, but I promise you, we will make it through um, tonight and hopefully it will be a fun learning experience for all of us. What I hope we, you take away from this presentation is to one, understand the roles for those part of the rehab trio. Two is to identify components for the ideal interprofessional collaboration known as the IPC, and then apply these to case studies in various clinical settings. So first, let me tell you a little bit about myself. Um, Jennifer gave a thorough background, um, so I really appreciate that. Um, so what I want to talk about here are the pictures. This is really all about me right now in my clinical fellowship year. Um, I have always had a deep passion for the pediatric field. I've worked in elementary schools, I've worked in private practices, and I've worked at all children's hospital back home where I was a rehab aide and really got to start my passion um, diving into it more. 
So on a daily basis, I am moving in and around my clinic. We are a nonprofit and we are very collaborative, meaning we have OT, we have PT, and we have speech, um, all sharing the same space. So in the top left corner, um, this is actually taken from today. We were making an obstacle course, um, working on our speech sounds, and we love to incorporate movement and we're a very play-based therapy. In the top right-hand corner um, is actually an example of a co-treatment session um, that I share with another SLP as well as OT. This is a very special family relationship. Um, they are siblings. They enjoy being hands-on, hectic moving around, um, and they're also very much on the spectrum. So having the OT there along with another SLP is very collaborative, and I've learned a lot about emotional um, regulation as well as um, sensory regulation. In the bottom right-hand corner um, is an example of me using AEC, known as alternative augmentative communication. This is very much we're using a device. It has pictures and words um, that allow some of our patients to communicate better and more effectively. Um, this little boy here is trialing a device to hopefully get his own device. And he recently did um, get confirmed that he can have a device and he literally lit up at the news of getting one. Um, so within every session, we are moving around, playing, and he is constantly exploring his device and asking me how to uh, find different words um, to express those wants and needs. In this bottom left-hand corner, last but not least, is another co-treatment session of mine with another OT. Um, we are focusing on engagement. So for the kiddo to be able to play with me um, and to feel comfortable around me to stimulate that communication. And then the OT works on those fine motor skills during feeding. So you can see here, um, there's actually a tray filled with goldfish and applesauce and a car. And we were going around playing and testing all the different senses, sensory um, items of these foods and having this truck go over and just show this kiddo how much fun this food experience can be. And having that communication input um, that I am modeling throughout. Oh, this is kind of like a day in my life. I see 32 patients. That's about seven to eight patients seen daily. Um, my youngest patient is two years old, and then my oldest patient is 12 years old. However, the clinic um, does span across the lifespan from birth to 21 years old um, with a variety of cases and diagnoses. Within my schedule, I do have an administration hour allowing me to do some paperwork uh, and plan my sessions out, as well as scheduled evaluation time. Like my previous pictures, I have co-treatment sessions. I love my co-treatment sessions. I look forward to them every week. I have three of them, and they're all with OT. OT is regularly collaborating with SLPs. PTs, we collaborate with sometimes, not all the time, um, but we definitely appreciate their input and know that they're a part of our patient's team at some point. We also have patients who see OT and or PT. I have 10 of those kiddos on my caseload, if not more, actually.
So diving into the rehab trio, again, we have OT, occupational therapy, and they rely on the occupational therapy practice framework made up of domain and process. PT has the International Classification of Functioning Disability in Health, abbreviated to the ICF. And then for our field, we have the big nine areas that we work through. Now, when we're talking about this trio, it's important to note that there is definitely overlap in areas. And then there are big core areas that each of us cover together in session. So for OT and PT, if they're working together, they are working on that physical health and well-being of the patient. The SLP and the OT come together and work on that cognition and feeding. The SLP and the PT were, are working through posture alignment and community use. So to give a further example, if we're talking about OTs and SLPs, OTs are assumed in the feeding world when we're talking about more um, adults, sometimes pediatric, but a lot of adults. Um, OTs are assumed to handle the utensils while SLPs only address the swallowing. However, an SLP may be further concerned with the upper gastrointestinal function while the OT is looking at the total body picture. A little more detail on that. OTs will address the proper um, posture, their limb positions, their visibility of the tray items, adaptive devices, and the motor sequencing for feeding. The SLP, on the other hand, is going to help with the bullet size, the food consistency, decreasing aspiration, and techniques such as the chin tuck swallow or multiple swallows per bolus. Together, they blend their skills to achieve a smooth retrieval of a spoon, the ease of opening in the mouth, and the cognitive focus to repeat these steps until the meal is finished. Now, when it comes to an OT and an SLP, this co-treatment session for um, daily living routines looks like creating and utilizing a chart for weekly chores. Now, the SLP promotes natural sequencing, understanding descriptions, and recalling information, while the OT promotes orientation, working memory, attention span, and then functional planning. Furthermore, the SLP goals may be for general literacy or following directions, while the OT goal is for independent household management. Lastly, when we put all of these fields together, SLP, OT, and PT, we come up with the ideal interprofessional collaboration. And this is holistic and patient-centered care. Now, all these together are great, but we need to remember that we can also have these different brackets of the SLP and OT, OT and PT, and so forth. Beginning with the SLP's role, the big nine areas, we have articulation, and this consists of those phonological disorders where we're working on the speech sounds. Fluency, includes stuttering and cluttering. Voice and resonance, this includes respiration and phonation. Receptive and expressive language, 
which includes understanding the things that we hear, the things that we read, uh, and the things that we say. Expressive language truly focuses on what we say, how we say it. Hearing, this includes the impact on the speech and language. Swallowing, this includes all those phases of swallowing, oral, pharyngeal, and esophageal, as well as related functions. Um, this also includes oral function for feeding and oral facial myofunction. This then also goes into those swallow studies that you'll see a lot of times in the hospital. Um, the collaboration there is a lot of times with those on the medical team, so the doctors, and especially the radiologists. They'll be there in the room during these swallow studies, and we will be able to help on their end with their specialties and you on your specialties to develop this uh, comprehensive swallow study for the patient's well-being and goals. When you're talking about cognitive aspects of communication, this is long. It includes attention, memory, sequencing, problem solving, and executive functioning. Social aspects of communication, this includes challenging behavior, ineffective social skills, lack of communication opportunities. And lastly, our communication modalities. This includes the oral, manual, and augmentative alternative communication techniques, as well as any assistive technology. So a little bit more is this service delivery areas of practice in speech language pathology. When we define an SLP, it's they are defined as a professional who engages in professional practice in the areas of communication and swallowing across the lifespan. Communication and swallowing are the broad terms encompassing the many facets of communication and function. And these are the nine big areas that we talked about in the previous slide. Um, you'll see this image on the right here is a picture of an iceberg. I love this image and wish I could just project it for when anyone asks me what an SLP does or what the field is all about, because truly it's three words that entail so much. And this is why I love this field is because it is diverse. There is many, there are many opportunities um, to promote language and communication, to advocate for our patients, their families. Um, these, there's a lot, <laughs> so I'm not going to go through every one, but I do want you to like kind of see this iceberg, and you can do this with the other fields as well, because there's so much under the iceberg that we treat and assess and diagnose, and it's so important for everyone to understand. Um, so yeah. <laughs> Switching gears over to the OT side, the OT role is really centered around this framework of domain and process. Domain and process coexist through simultaneous attention to the client's body functions and their structures, their skills, their roles, their habits, their routines, and context. This is all combined with a focus on the client as an occupational being and the practitioner's knowledge of the health and performance enhancing effects of occupational engagements. This means that the outcomes such as occupational performance, uh, role competence, and participation in daily life 
are produced. Now, looking at all of these categories, we have occupations, client factors, performance skills, patterns, context, environments, it all comes together. And by achieving health, well-being, and participation in life through engagement and occupation, this is the overreaching statement that describes this whole image. Um, so this is a lot. And I learned a lot from talking to um, one of the OTs at my practice. And it's amazing how much they do and how much they combine um, and contribute to the rehab team. The PT's role. This is the international classification of the functioning disability in health. We're actually gonna watch a short um, three minute video. It gives a great explanation um, of the PT's role as part of the therapy trio. So let me bring that up. Bear with me for one moment. Okay. Module one, what? And if, hopefully you all can hear it, but if not, please let me know. We can hear it, thank you. International classification of functioning, disability and health. In short, ICF. Hello, how are you? We are fine, thank you. How are you? We're good too. Paul has cerebral palsy. He has difficulty walking by himself. I am not sure what I can do for managing his cerebral palsy. I see. Sarah also has cerebral palsy and has difficulty walking by herself and talking. I also have questions about managing her cerebral palsy. Let us consult the doctor together. Hello. What brings you all here today? Hello, doctor. As you know, Sarah has cerebral palsy. We were wondering about the treatment options for Sarah and what can we do to manage her cerebral palsy. So are we. But Paul and Sarah have different abilities and needs. We are also wondering what therapy they would need. Will it be different for each of them? You are right. Every child and family with cerebral palsy is unique and has different abilities and needs. Treatments or therapies that work for one child in one situation may not be the right thing for the other children or in any other situation. To help kids function well in day-to-day -day life, it is important that families and healthcare providers, like us, understand a child's unique strengths and challenges and focus on these in therapies. Successful intervention in cerebral palsy needs collaboration with healthcare professionals, family, and the community services. Our ultimate goal is to enable children to grow and develop to their best capacity, regardless of how they do things. There are so many things that influence therapy and Sarah's progress. How do I understand what to do for my child's management? Let us go a little back in time. In 2001, the World Health Organization designed an approach to health that aims to identify and understand each child and family's unique functional abilities and needs. It is called the International Classification of Functioning, Disability and Health, or the ICF in short. The ICF divides a health condition, for example, in your child's case, cerebral palsy, into three interconnected parts. 
These parts are connected in such a way that, if you influence one part, all the other parts change to adjust. First, the body structure and function, which explains how body parts work. Second, the activity and participation, which explain what people do and how they engage with the world. And third, the contextual factors, which include environmental and personal factors that help people function. So using the ICF approach to view your child's health might help you too. Understand your child's strengths and challenges, and see a broader picture of your child's development. Communicate and advocate better about your child's functional needs to the healthcare professionals and community. And make informed decisions, and engage actively in your child's healthcare. I will discuss each one of them individually to help you understand better. Okay, I love that video um, just because it's a great overview of um, the mind behind a PT and what their role is. Um, so I hope you enjoyed that and I hope that was informative for y'all. Digging a little bit deeper into the ICF, I want to give an example um, of one of the diagnoses. This is one that I haven't necessarily seen in my clinic, but the overall umbrella of this um, is supported by PTs I've worked with. So we have the panic disorder. Um, this is the health condition. The difficulty handling stress and other physiological demands, this, these are the activities that they have difficulty with. The environmental factors are those negative attitudes, the lack of support systems, and the barriers. Personal factors, they are female and 27 years old. Body function and then the body structures are those problems of emotional functions. And lastly, their participation is that they have restricted social relationships. Um, and just to point out in this example, as well as in the video, I think this can go across the lifespan as well. Using this model for different diagnoses, whether they're pediatric or adult, whether they're simple or complex diagnoses, um, this is definitely something you can take into consideration when um, working with PT. So essentially this model plays into PT seeing this diagnosis of a panic disorder, for example, and the problems of emotional functions and deficits, which again is different for each specialty scope of practice. Um, they are a result of this diagnosis, but being able to acknowledge um, every aspect of this person's life that could be playing a role in their specific progress. It helps to really acknowledge and meet the person where they are in their life to come alongside them and help them reach their highest potential, as well as cater their goals to meet their overall life goals. And this is a good reminder for every single PT, OT, SLP, um, no matter what career path you take, I truly think that this is one of those that can be carried through. Summing it all up, really, we're going back to that ideal interprofessional collaboration. Um, this has three different parts to it. Common language, this being such as for OT, I share a patient with them. And one of the things that OT began 
um, and would have scattered throughout the session um, when necessary is meet my eye. And this is to help our patients be present with us and for us to understand that they're listening. Um, this is hard for some patients, so definitely we cater it to their needs. Um, this patient also enjoys tactile touch, so we'll take their hands, we'll hold them, we'll say meet my eyes. Then we also have alligator grip. This is important in PT. This refers to our pencil grip, whether we're coloring or writing. Um, PT emphasizes breaking that crayon, breaking that pencil for our younger ones to be, able, to be able to get that grip. And we carry this through while we're doing crafts with our kiddos in um, speech-language pathology. Then in our field, we have these speech sound names. We have these really cute animal sound cue cards, and we use that to help teach our different sounds. For instance, we have a quiet sheep sound, which is that FH. We have our snake sound. And then we have our hooting owl for our H. We also have our intentional relationship model. I'll go over that in our next slide. And then lastly is listening to other voices. This includes parents, caregivers, siblings, anyone on the medical team, including counselors, psychologists, doctors, pediatricians, uh, et cetera, as well as any educational professors or professionals, our teachers, our tutors, anyone that we, um, our clients see at school or any other educational setting. <clears throat> so like I said, the intentional relationship model, shortened to the IRM, um, this is a model that is mainly used in OT. But again, this is a model that my OT emphasized, or not my OT, but my coworker um, emphasized that we should be using it in each and every field. Um, it describes the therapist's tasks and demands for establishing a, and sustaining a productive relationship with the client. The intentional relationship model um, guides occupational therapy practice by defining the therapeutic use of self and thereby outlining an interpersonal reasoning process that therapists may apply when interacting with their clients. And overall, this helps with occupational engagement, communication engagement, and even that physical engagement. Um, so this is a great visual uh, of the whole process. And from this process, there are 10 underlying principles of the IRM. I've made sure to bold and underline um, what I think is most important to take away because this is a lot, um, but critical self-awareness, interpersonal self-discipline, head before heart, mindful empathy, continual development, a wide range of therapeutic mo mo modes, <laughs> client-centered, balance, core values and ethics, and cultural competency. It's interesting because I didn't really know about this model before stepping into this field or out of grad school. Um, but looking over these and reading more into them, I've learned that I've included a lot of these principles in my own therapy practice um, without even knowing it. And so I think that kind of shows where passion lies and it kind of shows our heart, even though it does say head before heart. 
Um, but definitely the client-centered relationship and play-based therapy that we have at our clinic very much um, follows these principles, whether it's willingly or unwillingly, unwillingly or knowingly or unknowingly. Um, I think it's important to highlight. So this is our conclusion, kind of wrapping up everything that we've talked about. Um, I want to talk about a patient of mine that I recently started seeing. Um, she is a co-treat with OT. I absolutely adore seeing her once a week um, alongside my OT. And I'm going to give you a little bit of a background of her and talk about my experience with her. So this patient currently receives physical therapy, PT, twice a week occupational therapy services three times a week, and now receives speech language services twice a week. This patient experienced a grade three intraventricular hemorrhage when she was only two weeks old. As a result, she was fed via an NP tube for nine weeks post-event and remained at the hospital for six weeks. She has a diagnosis of hydrocephalus as well as kidney reflux. Um, she's been doing really good so far. There's been no um, shifts in her brain activity or signs of seizures, which is always a good report to hear. Um, she has recently seen an eye doctor who says that she presents with cerebral visual impairment. Um, this causes her vision to be poor and it is absent in the lower half of her visual field. Um, because of this, she has to be constantly reminded to look down in order to pay attention to what is in front of her uh, while she is walking around. This has affected her proprioception. And looking, taking all of this into consideration, um, from an SLP perspective, she does present with a moderate phonological disorder, mild deficits in her receptive and expressive language, um, and then because of her TBI and developmental delays, she does have a difficult time with age-appropriate speech and motor tasks. Carrying through, this then affects her PT and OT um, goals and sessions. Hence, we do do that co-treat. Um, the OT focuses on those fine motor skills as well as uh, does incorporate posture, learn from the PT, and then together, myself and the OT work on those cognitive functions heavily, um, recalling tasks, memory, and sequencing. Um, for instance, I think it was like the first time we saw her, we decided to do a obstacle course. Again, those are very heavy, uh, centered at our clinic. All of our kids love them. We decided to do that because we could target multiple goals. Um, and while we were doing that, I also had her working on speech sounds. So we were targeting a lot. And then because of her TBI, we have to do this multiple times every week, um, kind of targeting the same goals. Uh, so it does take longer with her. And that's why she's been in therapy in her throughout her whole life. Um, and we absolutely love having her. It's also important to note um, that we do kind of classify her as a mini, she has a mini stroke. Well, she did have a stroke. We call her, she's a little stroke person. Um, 
like an adult. Um, so it's kind of cool that there are some of those diagnoses that overlap and you'll sometimes those will present in adults and children. Um, so yeah. Okay, so these are references uh, from everything that I've shared with y'all today. Um, I think these are very important, hold close to my heart, and will be continually using as I develop my own therapy methods. Um, I've got this keep in touch, uh, all my information. And right now, uh, I'd like to open up to the floor um, if y'all would have any questions. Mia, thank you so much for that fantastic presentation. I've definitely learned a lot about how much you do and really how the whole team comes together, which has just been really phenomenal. So thank you so much for, for your talk today. Uh, if anyone has any questions, feel free to raise your hand on Zoom uh, or you can send it in the chat or just unmute yourself, whatever you prefer. Um, so go ahead. Hey, hi, Mia. Hi. I don't have any questions in this moment, but I just thought your presentation was phenomenal. And I really enjoyed the video that you included because it did so well to illustrate the differences um, in like every individual's disability and then how important it is to develop a unique treatment plan. And I thought it illustrated that so well. Um, and your presentation was phenomenal. And I'm just really thankful you were here to talk to us this evening. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And I'm, I'm really glad that you had a lot of great takeaways from this. Uh, I had a question that I figured I'd ask. Um, how often are you in direct communication with the physicians that are overseeing the patients that you're seeing? Is it more of like you're sharing notes or is it um, like you're in direct communication with them? Um, how does it typically work in your practice? Yeah, so within our practice, um, we do have a process that we have to go through paperwork style to be able to um, talk to other physicians or those part of the medical team or education wise. Um, I would say I talk to, it depends on the severity of the case. I have had a couple cases um, that I would have to reach out to counselors due to traumatic experiences. Um, and that usually happens over email where we do share our reports, our evaluations with um, those counselors and then vice versa. Um, once, in a, once in a blue moon, I'd say we actually meet over the phone or in person, but definitely email is the primary way of contacting and sharing um, information about shared patients. Thank you so much again, Mia, for that great presentation. Uh, it was definitely a great look into what you do and, and the importance of everything that you do. So thank you so much for sharing that with us today. Of course. Thank you for having me here today. All right, everyone. Have a great evening. All right. Thank you.